Our gospel lesson for today, the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. Jesus says, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. A few days ago, my wife and I were driving through the countryside. We were on our way to a baseball game. And as we went along through the open fields, we commented about the beautiful, deep, deep green of the cornfields right now. And as we were commenting on that, I made another comment. Yeah, but it won't be long and we'll see the tassels shoot up and they'll start to get that brownish tint. And next thing we know, it'll be fall and it'll be browned out. And she says, you know, you say that every single year. She's right, too, I do. And I made the observation at that point. Well, you know, you can take the boy off the farm. You can't take the farm out of the boy. We laughed about it and we moved on, something we say often. But this has manifested in different ways for me. I am a farm kid. And I do know agriculture, even if I don't work in agriculture. And one of the ways that that has manifested, this idea of you can take the boy off the farm, is the fact that I have a small garden. And in recent years, probably about the last three or four years, I've joked with my dad when I finally started growing sweet corn, just a few plants in my small garden plot, that, hey, dad, I finally have a corn crop. It only took me 30-some-odd years before I got there. As I think about the garden, though, and that small bit of agriculture that I do, I'm reminded of a time several years back. It was early spring. I was out with a spade, just turning the dirt over like you do before you get it ready to plant. And as I'd been out there sweating like crazy, working like crazy, wearing myself out for probably half an hour, 45 minutes, my neighbor, he'd been watching. He'd kind of been laughing. And I looked up and I saw him coming across the alley with his tiller. And in a matter of mere moments, he had the rest of the garden dug up, something that probably would have taken me a couple more hours. And that got me thinking about the ways that various things have happened over the years. Tools have been created. Things have happened that have made the work easier. And in that, I want to start to think about the history of agriculture. And we have to go back a long ways. Now, I've read several different books from a historical or an anthropological or an archeological standpoint that have talked about the the history of humankind going back thousands and thousands of years and talking about the development. And one of them is the development of agriculture. Now, one of the very first crops that 
humans began to harvest, to plant and to harvest was wheat, something that's still important in many different parts of the world today that hasn't gone away. But at the beginning, I can only imagine some of the earliest farmers, if we want to call them that, with sticks or some sort of crude tool, just trying to break up the soil by hand so that they could plant the seed and grow their crops. And, and, and as my imagination goes, I, I wonder if maybe this particular farmer had already dis discovered that if you have a cow around, that cow will give milk and that, that can provide for your family in that way. And maybe as he was there with his rude stick trying to break up the soil this time, he looked over at the cow that was just sitting over there not doing anything. And maybe he thought, hey, that cow's a lot bigger with bigger muscles. I wonder if there was some way that I could get that cow connected to my stick to break this up and I wouldn't have to work so hard. They always say that necessity is the mother of invention. And somehow over the course of years, somehow, I don't know exactly how it worked, but invention came on and they, the earliest people doing agriculture found ways to harness an animal to the tools that they were using to somehow bring a, a harness to a single animal or perhaps even a second animal. And eventually that morphed into something known as a yoke. Yokes were used for countless centuries, even millennia for agricultural purposes. Really only up until about the last hundred years or so, yokes were still utilized. Now they were probably utilized by various types of animals, horses or cows or oxen is perhaps what we're most familiar with. But because it, it, it was useful right up until a very recent portion of our history, perhaps you are familiar with the idea of a yoke. A yoke as I think of it, and perhaps you do too, or as you visualize it, is the large piece of wood that lays across the back of the neck, usually oxen, that's what I think about. Two of them, it goes, they're, they're side by side, it goes across their neck, a collar comes up underneath that connects into the yoke, and then uh, somehow that yoke is connected back to whatever piece of equipment, whatever tool they're wanting to move, whether it's a, a plow, or whether it's a wagon, or whether whatever, that, that yoke is a way to harness the power of the animal, to make it easier for the person, but to take their strength and put it to work. Now, of course, I bring all this up because our scripture lesson today, Jesus, uh, we hear one of perhaps his most famous words or passages that we hear from him. All you are weary, I will give you rest. Come to me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, I think a lot about this and I wonder why Jesus brought that up. And to really get at why Jesus brought that up, we have to back up just a little bit. Now, if you happen to catch our recent videos over the course of the last month or so, you know we've really been in a section that's had a pretty strong theme. And I thought a week ago we were going to move on past it, but guess what? We're coming right back to it. Jesus has continuously been talking to his disciples as he has invited them into the work of ministry that he is doing. Now, that was chapter 10. And of course, we're into chapter 11, and we've skipped ahead a little bit. And in what we've talked about or what we've skipped, we find that Jesus has finished the time of teaching and now he and the disciples are going about, they're continuing in the ministry. And the, the message of Jesus' ministry is always important. At the, so, the source of all that he's doing, at the center of all that he is doing is always the same message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And I believe that his actions and his teachings and the miracles that he's doing and the time that he's spending with people, all of that is culminating around this message and showing in bringing, putting flesh on this idea of what does it mean that the kingdom has come near. 
Now, as we talked about last week, we hinted at this. His message, that same message, the kingdom has come near, the same one that he invites the disciples to join with, the same one that he invites us to join with all these years later, is the same message that we heard from Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, in his ministry, in the ministry that he was up to, it was the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But now, as we move past all that, and we get back into this ongoing action of ministry that Jesus is up to. We hear about John the Baptist again. This is in the portion that got skipped. I've got my Bible right here so I can reference back to it if you're wondering what I set up here a moment ago. Jesus talks about John, or he's doing this ministry, and John catches wind of it. John's in prison, and things are not manifesting in the way that John anticipated. And so he sends a couple of his followers, go and ask Jesus, are you the one to come, or are you or should we look for another one? Even the guy who had the exact same message can't quite wrap his head around. He doesn't quite know how to respond to the way that this message, this good news, this gospel is now manifesting in the ministry of Jesus. He's got questions. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And then just before Jesus, uh, just before where we picked up today in verse 16, right before that, Jesus says, as he's talking about John and John's ministry and the ongoing ministry he's up to, all this, he says, let any of you with ears listen. Listen up, folks. But then he begins to talk about, or he makes these analogies that are perhaps a little bit strange. And he says, what should I compare this generation to? You're like children in the marketplace who said, we played your flute and you didn't dance. Or we mourned and you heard us and didn't join in. It's almost like he's saying, first he says, let you with ears listen. And then he's like, are you listening? You hear it, but are you listening? Why don't you get it? That almost seems, I think that's maybe the mentality that Jesus has as he makes this statement. We played and you did not dance. We mourned and you did not join us. Are you listening? But then he goes on and makes the next statement and he references John the Baptist again. And I think Jesus is referencing the fact that there's gonna be opposition regardless of how the ministry presents itself. He says, John came neither eating nor drinking and you say he's got a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking, spending time with people embodying this ministry, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, that he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's, Jesus is basically saying it doesn't matter how the message is presented. When the message is presented, there's going to be opposition. Folks, it's like they hear it, but they don't get it. They hear it, but they're not listening to it. It goes in their ears, but the Holy Spirit does not act in a way that brings it into their heart. Why? I don't know, but that's what Jesus seems to be referencing. Now, as he makes this statement, Jesus goes on a little bit more. And we know that his ministry continues. And we know that it's taxing. That's been that theme that we've seen over and over and over again about the opposition that you will face, that there will be some, when you join in this ministry, there will be some who will listen. There will be some who will accept it, but there will be many who won't. I am treated this way. Don't expect to be treated any better. That's what Jesus has been telling his disciples. And that seems to be what he's referencing here. And then Jesus starts talking about being weary and needing rest and how we can come to him and find that rest. And as I thought about all of this, I thought about Jesus' own example during his time of ministry. And folks, what do we see from him over and over and over again as he does, as he preaches, as he proclaims, as he does miracles, as he does healings, as he does all kinds of things? We also hear oftentimes that Jesus will withdraw on his own to rest, to pray, to find 
to find his center, to find time with his heavenly father, to find that rest that he needs. We see it over and over and over again. He even leaves the disciples and he just goes off on his own. And if Jesus needs to do it, what's that tell us about us? If the son of God, if the literal physical embodiment, the human embodiment of God needed to rest, we do too. Now, I've talked with a lot of you over the years about the idea of needing rest, the idea of relaxation, the idea of Sabbath. And this is where we begin to see the need for it, the importance of it, why we need to come for rest, because we are weary. And more than ever, as I talk with people, as I'm having communication and conversations with people, we continue to talk about how weary we all are because of the current events that are going on, the things that are happening, the way that we're encountering this world and experiencing everything that's going on. And even though in many ways, the world has sort of been shut down and we've been experiencing life in quarantine in various forms or another and in various levels or another, it just keeps coming and we don't get any sort of break from it. And I think mentally that's exhausting and we are tired and we are weary and we are carrying these burdens. And perhaps even more than anything is the fact that many of us feel isolated by it. We're lacking the, the back and forth connection that oftentimes we have. We're lacking the, 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 the physical touch that we have from one another because we can't just come up and give each other a hug. We, we're lacking those ways that relationship and community come together and manifest in the ways that we're used to. And it's exhausting. This is our reality right now. So folks, no wonder we're tired. This has been going on for us for the better part of four months now. We don't know how long, much longer it's gonna go. It could continue for months, it could continue for weeks, it could continue for days, or it could continue for years. We don't know. And that lack of knowing itself is exhausting. It's a burden. But thinking about all this, we know that this is our reality. Just like opposition and the tension that comes with that must have been a burden for Jesus' disciples and for Jesus himself and for countless people across the generations. This is nothing new, even if it's manifesting in a way that's new for us now. And so as we think about all this and we come back to the promise that Jesus makes, come to me, you who are weary, I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. And I want to think about the yoke again as we kind of begin to wrap this whole thing up. Yes, there were one animal yokes and there were one animal harnesses. I don't dispute that. But I think about the way that a yoke looks in my head with two oxen together, yoked together to share the load, to share the burden, to work together on it. We might argue that those two oxen are somehow in relationship together to do the work that they've been called into. Maybe that's a weird way of thinking about it, but I think that it's true. And if we talk about the way that Jesus, that God has promised to share our burdens, has promised to never leave us alone, to always be there with us, whether we can see God or not, whether we can in that moment feel the presence or not, the promise is that God remains with us, that God desires to share the burdens with us. And I think it also manifests in another way because folks, we are the body of Christ. 
We are called to be in this together. Now, this is why we have said over and over and over again throughout the course of these last four months when we've been separated physically, when we've not been having church here in the sanctuary, when we've all been staying home to the best of our abilities and staying away from one another and trying to figure out how to go through life in this way. This is why we continue to say over and over again, find ways of being connected, find ways of staying in connection with one another and being in relationship with one another because that's how we bear these burdens. We are the body of Christ. We are called to be the body of Christ with one another and for one another so that somehow we can share the burdens and the weariness that we find in these days. Folks, there are going to be days where you're going to be overwhelmed. There are going to be days when you just feel like you can't handle it and you got to be okay with that. You've got to have grace for yourself and we got to have grace for one another and we got to be there for one another when that happens knowing in the next moment, maybe God will somehow give us the strength that we can be there to be yoked for the other person who needs our help and our presence and needs us to show the presence of God's love and power and presence through one another. May we remember that when we are yoked together, when we bear the burdens together, knowing we are reflecting the light of God that shines in the darkness. May we hold on to that. Amen.